The Sisu Way with Scott McGee, episode 37, with the insightful and intuitive Ava Charlotte. An elderly, hardworking Chinese farmer and his son had a single horse. They used the horse to plow the field, to sow the seeds, grow the crop, and transport it to the market. The horse was essential for the farmer to earn his livelihood. One morning, the horse broke the fence and ran away into the woods. When the neighbors found out that the only horse the farmer had had run away, they came to solace him. They said, your only horse has run away just before the planting season. How will you till the land? How will you sow the seeds? This is unfortunate. This is bad luck. The farmer replied, good luck, bad luck, who knows? A few days later, the farmer's horse returned from the woods along with two other wild horses. When the neighbors found out the news, they said, now you have three horses. You can till the land much faster with three horses. Maybe you can buy more land and sow more crop and make more money. Or you can sell the two, uh, uh, two other horses. Either way, you will be a rich man. This is good luck. The wise farmer replied, good luck, bad luck, who knows? The next morning, the farmer's son started training the wild horses so they would help till the land. While attempting to mount one of the wild horses, he fell down and broke his leg. Just before the sowing season, the son would not be able to help the farmer with his broken leg. The neighbors came once again and commented, this is really unfortunate, this is bad luck. The wise farmer repeated, good luck, bad luck, who knows. A few days later, the king's men started to visit each village in the kingdom. A war had started between their kingdom and a neighboring enemy state. The king's men were enlisting the eldest son from each family to join the army so they would defeat the enemy state. When they came to the farmer's house, they saw the son with a broken leg. He would not be of much use in the army and hence they did not take him. He was the only eldest son in the entire village who was not forcibly taken by the king's men to fight the war. The neighbors, some of them with teary eyes, came once again to the farmer and commented, your son breaking his leg was really fortunate. He is the only one who was not taken. What a stroke of a good luck. The farmer calmly replied, good luck, bad luck, who knows. This is the Sisu Way, a show about grit, character, gratitude, service, and what it means to choose strength and find peace. I'm Scott McGee, a mindful warrior on a path of gratitude and service who loves to connect with unconquerable souls. So the moral to that opening story, which I've seen in a lot of different places, um, one of them, one of those places is for that that story is told is in uh, Way of the Peaceful Warrior by Dan Millman, which is one of my favorite books. But moral there is that we have a tendency to label things and interpret events as either good or bad. Often we do it without awareness of it. When we interpret events as good luck, we are usually happy and vice versa. However, these things that are beyond our control are just events. There's nothing we can do about them. They are external. So be mindful not to give them power over your internal happiness and peace. And to combine another one of my favorite books by Epictetus, he said in Art of Living, what really frightens and dismays us is not external events themselves, but the way in which we think about them. It is not things that disturb us, but our interpretation of their significance. So a thought 
couple things that are going to resonate through this, this episode is how do you live a happy and fulfilling life? Uh, and it is said that psychology's job is to help ordinary people effectively meet the everyday challenges of daily life and to deal with life's inevitable major losses, disappointments, and griefs. And I believe the quote-unquote here, good life, is centered on three main themes. One, mastering your duties. Oh, I'm sorry, mastering your desires. Performing your duties. And number three, learning to think clearly about yourself and your relationship with the, within the larger community of humanity. And my guest, Ava Charlotte, can help us remember the answers to those questions. She has studied and taught with healers, shamans, and masters from many different traditions. Among these masters was Don Miguel Ruiz, the author of The Four Agreements. Uh, the Toltec master selected Ava for an individual intensive training that lasted for nine years, during which she also worked as his business manager, lived as his partner, gave talks, taught workshops, and coached individuals alongside Don Miguel and his family. She has traveled across the globe, visiting over 40 countries, creating and leading and participating in hundreds of events and working with thousands of individuals over the past several decades. She shares her message, rise in love and be a peacemaker, a message of authentic love of self and life. The happiness that comes from stripping away personal stories, beliefs, and falsehoods that shield us from our true selves, releasing all need for mental control. And to rise in love, and it's an acronym of R-I-S-E, um, she shares on her website here that in love means to enjoy the freedom to see and experience yourself as you really are, beneath the stories, judgments, fears, and distortions. Most humans seek external reflections to in turn feel good about themselves, consciously or unconsciously. True freedom is available to those who move beyond this need, to those who learn to truly self-validate regardless of your external circumstances. So you see, love is a conscious choice, a deliberate action, and a personal statement, which ties into what I always say, that strength is a choice, and, and so is love, and what that actually means. It's a conscious choice. So prior to this, Ava pursued a regular life, and again with quotes, what's a regular life, and a successful career as a computer consultant, actively involved in a variety of organizations, traveling the world and had a rewarding personal life. But like all of us, it's not our titles, our resume, our degrees that define us. It's what we have overcome. And to understand Ava's story, it's important to learn about these three extraordinary events that profoundly impacted her perception. So first of all, thank you for uh, let me read through a lot of that stuff there in the beginning. And welcome to the show. Thank so, you. And there's, we, have a, we have a lot to talk about. A lot. And, and for the listeners, you guys know, um, I tend to be very organized and tell a very um, deliberate and intentful story on each podcast. So part of this is going to be, and this is something that Ava and I discussed over the phone, is just letting a lot of this stuff come naturally in the moment 
during our conversation. Yes. So in a minute here, I'm just going to put away my notes here. But in order to kind of bump it in the right direction, right, there are a lot of people out there that give lectures, you know, they give, you know, mentoring, they have online this, buy my book that. But in order to really understand, um, again, your perspective and what you've learned, I would like to just talk about those three things. Um, we're not going to dive completely into your entire history and cause I'm not going to make this a, a biography, but I would like to learn and share the stuff that you've learned through, through those events. I think it's important. And plus I actually think it's very impressive the, the stuff you've done. And I think these listeners should know as well. And so one of those, and I have them here. One of them is and I'll, um, to give the listeners a heads up. One of them is skydiving. I want to talk about that. Obviously we need to talk about the Lyme disease and, um, You'd also written about broken heart syndrome and ending up in the hospital and ICU. And so we're going to briefly talk about those and the lessons learned, and then we're going to launch. Okay. Fair enough? Yes. So if you guys don't know, um, Ava's, I don't know, how many times have you jumped out of an airplane? Gosh, 200 and something. You, that's a lot more than I have. I'm at zero. Something yeah. I need to do really badly. It's fun. It's so, very special. So what, what, like what made you start doing that? I can't say that it really was a, um, a choice <clears throat> in the way of, oh, I need to skydive. It was more of an activity that an organization I was part of did. We did something fun every summer. And this particular year, it just happened to be skydiving. So we went for a weekend, did a training and actually it might have been a week. We went through the whole training to be able to jump on our own and not tandem or anything like that, but on our own. And that was it for pretty much most of the group. But I loved it. There was something about it that really drew me in. And the free falls are about 60 seconds? Mm-hmm. How long from when the airplane takes off until you're jumping out of a plane. How much time is that? Oh gosh, it depends on how the altitude you're going to jump out at, but I don't know, 20 minutes, 15 minutes. I don't even remember. It depends. Yeah. You know, I have so many it, and it also depends on the plane you're jumping out yeah, on. Yeah, true. You know, many true. variables to that one. Does it seem weird that you're like, in a plane with wings that's floating around in the sky and you're just like deciding, I want to just jump out of this. I don't need this anymore. I don't know. This, the concept of it is pretty impressive. Yeah. It's, it's sort of weird. I never thought about it that way. Obviously, I would probably not have done it if I had been thinking about it that way. It was a fun thing to do. It was an adventure. It was terrifying. Absolutely terrifying the first times. But it was also exhilarating and amazing and totally blew me away. And I can't say that I really understood what it was back then. Looking back now, I can say that one of the, the biggest takeaways, one of the biggest addictions in skydiving, at least for me, was presence. It brought me to presence. 
There was no thinking about the past or contemplating mm -hmm. the future. There was no fears around any of those things. I was just present. And from the moment you jump out of the airplane until you pull your parachute is 50 seconds, less than a minute from normal altitude. But you can talk about those 50, 60 seconds for hours. Like time is so different. Like 60 seconds normally it just passes by and you don't even take notice of them a lot of the times. But when you skydive, it's different. It just shifted my way of looking at time and presence and beingness and it and was very addictive. It, and again, so these are questions, I know a lot of the listeners can answer these questions, but when you're up there, I'm, obviously there's a vision stimulation because you're, I imagine the point of view is pretty impressive. Uh, do you have the feeling in your body of like, like do you feel, you know when you drop down a roller coaster or a hill, you get that stomach, the feeling in your stomach, is that there? Or is it um, a lot more peaceful than I'm imagining? <laughs> Depends on when you're talking about the first jumps. For me, it's terrifying. It's just terrifying jumping out of an airplane. But over time, that goes away, and there's no fear at all in the whole process. Um, the moment you leave the plane, you have something to relate to the plane. So there's a sense of falling right there and a... Yeah, similar to being in a roller coaster or something that just when you leave the plane but then there's nothing to relate to it's just air and the earth is way 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 down there so it's it, other than the, the wind you feel the wind in your face and in, on your body you don't really feel that you're falling it's more like flying and depending on how you move your body, you can move forward, you can back up, you can make yourself almost, it feels like you're popping up, even though you're still falling, or you can fall faster. And that slight, because you're falling so fast, the slightest little movement of your body instantly shifts you. You can spin around and the mm. somersaults and there's so many things and it just body control in a very interesting way because the slightest little movement has such a big impact in that speed you're falling. You know, listening to you speak and you're speaking about fear and at, with the relationship to the plane, it started making me think that fear tends to probably, it, it sounds like it needs something to attach to. Like it needs an anchor. If you're saying like you're jumping out of a plane, so your fear has that falling, you're moving, creating distance from you and the plane. Mm -hmm. And then also the uh, not doing the experience of jumping. So the first few times you have fear. But then what really is it there? Is it just the unknown? Or is it hoping your parachute opens up? <laughs> and then also, yeah, we'll get into that, but also um, your relationship with control and with your physical body and obviously the trauma that can happen if you hit the ground. So in fact, let's talk about that. So you were at, um, so one of these events I'm talking about is that you were at 4,000 feet and your emergency chute failed to open. Before we go there, let's talk about what, just, what you just were contemplating around. 
because the fear, I wasn't aware of these things back then. I was in my early 20s when I started um, skydiving and I didn't have the level of awareness I have now. Um, I did realize even back then that it was skydiving was an amazing tool to face fear and change my relationship with fear. So through skydiving, I was no longer afraid of being afraid because I jumped anyway. And I learned to relate to fear in a different way. Um, it no longer was an obstacle to be afraid. It was something that was present, but I could move forward anyway. Otherwise, I would never have jumped out of an airplane. And by doing that over and over, it really changed my relationship with my own fear. Um, do you think, do you look at that as like a two-part process? So, like fear that comes up is a normal reaction, but then the next step is a decision. Yeah. It's more complex than that for me now. Um, now I look at it as the physical body, the animal, has its own intelligence. And my body, even when, when I was past being afraid, my body was still um, acutely aware that it was going to be thrown out of an airplane. And there was adrenaline present, very sharp and attentive, which was part of the attraction. Because that's a very yeah. interesting state to be. And to be able to be in that heightened level of awareness physically without having my mind go into stories of fear was exquisite. So there's the fear of the body and there's the fear of the mind. And in the beginning, I had both. And over time, there was no fear in the mind any longer because my mind understood the process. My mind had experience, it knew what to do. It wasn't an unknown any longer, it was a known. And I had all the tools how to handle it. Um, the body got used to it in a sense and had also experienced that nothing bad happened. But there was still an awareness in the body that this is natural, so it was, there was adrenaline. Yep. So just both the, the body fear and the mind fear. Yep, yep. You know, I have similar things with the ice bath. Hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I'm sorry. In the back, I have a chest freezer, like almost a 20 cubic foot, and it's generally in the low 30s. And just do cold plunges. Mm -hmm. And the reason that little thought flickered up, when you said that you're in the moment, and that's all you can think of, it's the same thing of being in the ice water. Yeah. It's such like my mind might be out here and then just very acutely shrinks right down to yeah. a very, very specific thought of the exact moment. Yeah. There's nothing else. Yep. I think probably jumping out of an airplane might be more fun though. I don't know. I have to try them both. Yeah. Well, I, I love the ice plunge as well. It's yeah, special. Great, great, great. great. Um, so having this understanding of fear and the relationship of the mind and the body, and I think also maybe the development of the mind is the prepared mind. Like at, you can like out-prepare your own anxiety. 
maybe as you get gain experience and you're more prepared to understand how everything works, understand the feelings, understand your parachute, your backup parachute, out of that stuff, the more prepared you are, the less anxiety you might feel. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to make a leap here and assume that's what happens with skydiving as well. Of course, yes. But then there's that point where you're falling in the sky and your parachute isn't open. <laughs> Yeah, can't prepare for that one. No, right? How you, how do you, I mean, you can think about it, but you're, there's no way to actually prepare for what no. that what the feeling is going to come up in you know throughout your body and your mind. Yeah, and the lessons that is that you that learned by falling to your your pending doom. <laughs> yeah, no way to prepare for that for sure. Um, well, it's really part of a. A whole so many different steps was leading up to that moment where my reserve broke and if I start there um, I I never pulled my main parachute because I was jumping with a group of people and when you jump with others with these modern day parachutes that are shaped like wings and they actually fly forward you have to create your own safe airspace before you pull your parachute and know where you are in relationship to everyone else so you don't collide. And just as I was about to pull my main parachute, um, one of my friends came in above me in the air. And because you fly on air, there's a vacuum above you. So he fell on top of me and we tumbled around for a bit and it's not really a big deal. There's so many safety measures in, in the skydiving world and you separate from each other at high enough altitude for things to happen because things happen. And um, I found my own airspace again, was getting ready to pull my parachute, but now I had lost altitude and I was checking my altimeter and and re uh, realized I was really low. And there's this <clears throat> saying in in skydiving called um, ground rush. Even talking about it, I can still feel it in my body. I think you can hear it in my voice also. It's interesting. My body still holds the memory. Um, it's in the saying called ground rush, and it comes from the fact that when you're skydiving, you don't really feel that you're falling towards the ground. There's no sense of that until you get really close. And then it's still not like you're falling towards the ground. It feels like the ground comes towards you and it's called ground rush. And if you have ground rush, you're way too close. And I had ground rush. And there's really no time to pull the parachute. Because the main parachute is packed to be comfortable. So it opens slowly in steps. So And that takes time, that takes altitude. And uh, the reserve parachute is packed to open instantly. It's really uncomfortable, but it's there to save your life and, it, and it's open. So I pulled the, the reserve, which was the right choice in that moment, and it came out beautifully and I relaxed and then it broke. And I was 30 years at the time had had my fair share of scares and cars and falls and skiing and God knows what. 
Nothing like this. When the body, the animal knows this is it. It's a completely different kind of fear. Um, there's no really words for a terror. There was nothing but fear. No space for any thinking. Just fear. Pure, pure fear. And it felt like it went on forever. Which probably was a second or two. Right? And then something changed. And I didn't make it change. It wasn't a conscious choice. I didn't do anything. But the fear fell away. And what I experienced instead, there's really no words for. For the longest time, I was using the word grace. And it's still the best word I can think of, along with acceptance, which I now have a different understanding for. I didn't back then. What I would say is that um, the story of Eva, the personality, what I th thought I was, fell away. And what was left was what I really am. Life itself, consciousness. And it was exquisite. It was just exquisite. I was completely at peace. And the um, imminent death of my body was irrelevant. I knew I was fine. I knew I, I knew I already knew the concept that I'm not my body and my mind and my emotions. But it was a concept. And here, as I'm free falling towards the ground, it was no longer a concept. It was a lived experience. I knew I was fine even if my body died right there, which obviously I, it didn't, I'm still here. But experiencing that was, changed everything for me, totally. And what had happened before I jumped out of the plane was also very, very unique. This was my hundred and, I don't know, second or third jump, something like that. I, I had done enough jumps to not be afraid any longer. and It was more of a routine thing. Still very fun and inspiring and all of that, but I wasn't thinking about all the practicalities around, around it. And in the plane, on the way up, I got the seat next to the pilots, which is sort of... Um, Separated from the rest of the group. I think we were eight in the plane, six or eight. And there's no um, door. The door is taken off, so it's just this big hole where you jump out, which makes it windy and loud. You can't really have a conversation, especially not if you're sitting next to the pilot who has his headsets on and stuff. So I was in my own world. I sat in that spot many times. And... Even though there's no fear any longer, there is adrenaline in the body. So you're very awake and sharp. And when you're jumping with others, you have this whole um, routine schedule of movements you're doing together. You're flying formations and you have your own position. And so there's, it's like rehearsing a play. Hmm. What are my lines? And what are the cues? 
for me to do this, this or that. So there's a rehearsal going on. There's, there's work to do, so to speak. And again, I had done that many, many, many times. But this time it was like I fell asleep in the plane and I had a dream or a vision or a premonition. And in this dream, I saw myself skydiving. I had to pull the reserve and it broke. And the only way I can share my, my <clears throat> dreamt experience, my vision is linear because language is linear. But it wasn't a linear experience. It was more like a hologram and all-knowing moment where I just saw and knew a lot. And I saw myself, how I was living my life from a um, victimized position, feeling powerless with complete compassion. There was no judgment at all. I just saw, oh my God, look at myself here. Like That's how I live my life. Wow. And how that was almost wasting my life and how I really did not like my life. I did not want to be here. And that was a, a desire that I had carried for a long time. I don't want to be here. Nothing made sense to me. Life was pretty miserable. I was highly successful. And anyone who saw me would see an independent, strong, successful woman. But inside, I was not happy. And I could see all of that in this vision from a different perspective of how that was not true. And I knew that I had to make a choice. I knew I had created this opportunity to go home, like I would call it, leave the body and die, like go home. For me, that was go home. I knew this was an opportunity to go home and I had a choice right there. And it was very clear, you have to choose now, not in five minutes or five days or five months, five years. Now, choose. You want to live? You want to die right now. And I can still remember the, the surprise I felt as I knew I wanted to live. There was a surprise element to that. Because I really thought I didn't. But it was very obvious that I wanted to. And it had nothing to do with fear of death. Because in this dream I was dying. It was love of life. And I, I knew I hadn't even started living. And I had this deep desire to, to really be alive. Not just walking around. But living life yeah. fully. So I made that choice, and I made a choice in a way I never had before, where there was no ifs or buts or maybes. It was all the power of my being. Yes, I want to live. And I want to live with a healthy body. Because part of me knew that here I'm falling here to, to my death in this skydiving accident. I'm still in the plane. And the only way to survive that is with a broken body. So I don't want that. I want a healthy body. And someplace along this dream, my rational mind caught up with what was going on and said, this is ridiculous. You can't be thinking like this if you're going to jump out of an airplane. Stop it. And I did. I just pushed it all out of my mind and started focusing on what I was going to do in the jump. 
and I jumped. <laughs> and exactly what I had seen in this vision, in dream, premonition happened. And I guess the way I look at it now is that I had, I had made a very clear choice. In these particular circumstances, this is what I want to happen. And that's exactly how it unfolded. And I could never again say that I was powerless. I tried, I still do at times, but I know it's not true. I know it's not true for any of us. We all have the power to make incredible choices and really direct our lives with with that kind of awareness, with being in that state of being that I naturally was in the dream. And then as I was falling, where my personality surrendered and accepted what was happening. There was nothing Ava could do. In the, the incredible panic and fear that first arose and the scrambling for ideas, you know, what can I do, what can I do? And all the thinking just falling away and realizing there is nothing I can do. I can't climb back into the, the airplane. I can't call someone. I, there is nothing I can do. And in that complete impossible circumstance, I pushed myself to the very limit where there really was nothing I can do. And my mind surrendered. My personality accepted the moment. And what I experienced in, in that moment was exquisite, and it set me on a trajectory to, to, to live my life that way. If I can feel that way as I'm falling to my death, why would I ever worry about a stupid comment from a friend, or losing a job, or not having enough money, or whatever it is? is it all of a sudden, I knew it's possible. I had experienced it. It wasn't a concept any longer. I can be at peace there. I can be at peace anywhere. That's a f it's, it's some humor there that we have to uh, go through something like that to fully understand a concept or to go, oh my gosh, that person was right. Or that, you know, those type of thoughts. Mm -hmm. And then to come, because even you talked about, uh, you know, in, in Stoicism, we talk a lot about accept or resent. I mean, you have something happens you can either accept or resent it. And a lot of people will obviously put up resentment without, without knowing it. Right. And, and if it's some type of pain, um, and they continue to suffer in that, or, or, um, sorry to provide mental resistance toward whatever that thing is that they stay suffering. And I feel that hopefully, and obviously you learn that through self-awareness that you can um, kind of control your own destiny and your own mind, your own internal peace by choosing, is this something I can control or do anything about? If not, if you got to choose acceptance, surrender to the moment, and even enjoy it. Was, was there a little flicker of thought when you were falling that you like, laughed that you just had that vision? Mm 
no time for that, huh? You're like, ha, huh, I just thought no. of this. It, there was really no thinking. I was either in, in the complete fear, and then there was no thinking. It's just panic. There might have been a ton of, of thoughts running around, but I don't remember any of them. This was just panic. And then as my personality fell away, and I was what I am, consciousness, there was no thinking. There was a knowing, a knowing that I was perfectly fine. But the fact that I had seen it beforehand and the story around that was irrelevant as well. Because that belongs to the personality, and the personality was, had fallen away. Yeah, and this one, one part that I think is going to continue to highlight through these stories and, and the podcast, and that is that you have the authentic self, if that's the proper language to use, and culture, and so what, what you're essentially saying, and please correct me if I'm can use better words here, but we have your body, you have your name, you have, I mean, you didn't, you didn't choose to be a woman. I didn't choose to be a man. I didn't choose to grow up in California. I didn't choose English. Uh, I didn't choose to be my height, my race. I didn't choose even like, obviously the language that I speak affects my thinking affects my dreams. It affects how I interpret information. Obviously how I try and express a thought I have here in my head, try and throw it from my emotional part of my brain to my language part of my brain and then out my mouth. All that stuff is um, part of a culture that I didn't choose. And even this organic spaceship that I'm currently in, take that all aside, past the emotions, past the body, all that stuff, there is actually you and that's i guess what we're talking about that consciousness or that love so to speak that's in everything um you know we, we are not our car we're not our house you're not really even your name which a lot of us didn't choose some people did um to see that there is that that energy force and that authentic self and that you and I think that's going to keep coming up. And sometimes that role that you've been giving, you might not like that role or might not be matching that authentic self. And it sounds like that's kind of like what happened with you early on. You didn't, you had a role that you're doing and might be perceived by the external things that we think are valuable, aren't really matching up to that authentic source or that you. Um, I don't know if calling it a costume or a facade or anything like that is really the, well, it's what, those are words I'm choosing for now. And I hope people understand that just that you are powerful behind all that or inside or within it. I'm not really sure where exactly it is, but that's kind of like a theme that we're talking about. But my been sloppy. Hopefully I got to some point there. <laughs> So the way I like to uh, talk about it is we've all experienced a newborn baby and a presence that is so tangible in a newborn little child. They love the presence. It's right there. 
um, seeing them as they evolve in the first months and first year, they're curious and unafraid and loving life. And that's really our natural state of being, where life freely expresses itself through a human form, the baby. And there's really no personality at that um, point. There might be um, memories carried through lifetimes or traits through DNA that from parents or whatever. Like every child is, is individual as they come into this life, whatever story we have around why that is. But when I came into this world, there was no Eva. When my parents called me Eva, it was a sound that I learned meant I needed to listen, pay attention. It was like calling a dog Fido. Didn't have a meaning mm -hmm. for me as a small child. It wasn't something I was. I there was no identification with Eva. And over time, we developed a personality in relationship with our family and friends and school and society, and we learn all these things about ourselves. So I understand that I'm a girl and I should behave this way and not that way. I'm good at this and bad at that and all those things that creates a belief of what I think I am. And Ava is being constructed and you can think of that as a virtual reality that wasn't even there when you came in. Um, I now like to call it an avatar. Mm. So this avatar is being created. And at some point, we start believing that we are this personality. So now I think I am Ava. I, I no longer feel that I am life itself, consciousness, spirit, soul, whatever word fits in your belief system. That is, is taking a back seat, and now I'm Ava. And the beliefs of Ava is running my life. The beliefs of Ava is making the choices. Now there is a um, hesitation in some cases. Now oh, I can't do that because that has consequences. I have memories of that now, that that's not good. Or I have to do that even if I don't really want to do that because that's what society tells me and on and on and on. And over time that becomes automatic. And now we don't even think about that. It's just the way it is. And I always had such conflict with that. I didn't understand it, but there was a conflict in me. I didn't, I didn't feel that I was free. Free was the word I longed for. I was longing to be free, and I wasn't free, and it didn't matter that my life was great looking from the outside because there was something wrong, and I didn't understand what it was. And nothing made sense. And then the skydiving accident really cracked that for me and realizing, wow, I am that, that that I experienced as I was falling to the physical body's death. And I wanted that again, like I had experienced it now and I wanted it badly, like 
this is possible. This is what I really am. But now I was back in Eva. And Eva was very present. She hadn't changed. The only thing that had happened for Eva was that she had experienced consciousness. So just because I had that experience didn't mean I, I knew how to live like that. That was a long road. Yeah, that, that, that road is one of the few things I wrote down here in my notebook was how do you master your earthly emotions and body and mind? I know that's not an easy question, but how do you consistently wake somebody up to make them aware and then to be able to self-regulate and to be able to master those earthly possessions? Well, first you have to want it. Not everyone wants it. Um, the desire for it brings a willingness, willingness to look at yourself, look at, to become aware. Awareness is really key, which became my job after the skydiving accident of really understanding what is it that's in the way of me living this every day. And obviously it's me that's in the way of it, but in what way? And because I had that desire, we really are co-creators of, of our life or creators of our life. And because I had that desire, life brought people and circumstances that would help me look at different aspects. Books showed up, people showed up. And it was really a journey of, of self-inquiry, self-discovery, and ruthlessly looking at Ava, what is she doing, and seeing her fears and self-judgments and um, habit of feeling powerless and just taking the back seat in my own life. And I'm really looking at that, and when you can really see something, it gives you the power to change it. If you haven't seen it, you can't really do anything about it. So the awareness is, is first, and it takes willingness and courage. Yeah, big time. That initial step of awareness, so that you have the, the strength and peace with everything to be able to regulate yourself. Yeah. That's it, guys. Eventually, this journey brought me to Miguel, Don Miguel Ruiz, and he became my teacher. And one of the first things he told me was to stand in front of the mirror every day and look in the mirror and say, my name is Eva, I'm a parasite, and I'm addicted to suffering. And I thought that was so stupid. Hey, I'm not a parasite. And why would I be addicted to suffering? But I trusted him. I had seen in him what I was looking for in myself. It was obvious the very first time I met him, I saw in him what I had experienced as I was falling. I could see he was living this. And if he's living it, he can show me how. He can show me the way. So I've experienced it. I know what it feels like. I see it in him. So whatever I had made disagreement with myself, whatever he says, I'm doing it. So I did. And I can't say that I felt anything particularly in 
those moments with myself in the mirror every day. But it created a crack in, in the illusion of Eva that I was willing to say that every morning. And I began to have realizations, moments of awareness in daily situations. So for instance, say I was driving my car and someone cut me off and this surge of, of adrenaline would move through the body because it was a potential dangerous situation and the body gets ready, completely natural. And then the body is realizing that nothing happened and the body wants to go back to balance again. But now the mind is activated. Oh my God, that idiot. That could have been so dangerous. Holy moly, what a complete jerk. And whatever the story is. And the mind then tells this story and depending on the event that just happened, we call our friends and we journal and we do all these kinds of things where we keep our attention on this event and every time you go there you feel the same emotion your body relives it through your storytelling of the event and that became so obvious to me that oh my god I am doing this to myself yes life happens events happen I can't control that but I can control what I do with it and that was you know and it was not a new thought but to really really see it with a different level of awareness. I am creating the suffering for myself. That was insane. Like, oh my God, I'm doing that. By telling the story over and over, my interpretations, whatever was going on in the mind. So that was like a big aha moment to really, really acknowledge and own my own responsibility and how I feel. I am creating my own suffering. I am addicted to suffering, as he would say in that statement. And the parasite is then the one who, who lives off the human, so the mind being the parasite, and the mind needs strong emotion to survive. Hence the continuous creation of, of drama. So now I had seen that, like, I am doing this to myself. And obviously I wanted to change it now that I had had awareness. And the next shock then would be that I couldn't. I wanted to. I had seen this pattern in myself. I wanted to change it, but it was such an automatic. If the event triggered some kind of something within me, the train was off and running. And if the event and the trigger were strong enough, it would be a train wreck that could ruin relationships or circumstances. And because I now had awareness around it, it was terrible. When it was just an automatic that happened, yeah. I, I didn't even think of it. But, but when I could see it, it was oh, not fun. It's like looking in your in the mirror and really seeing yourself and what you're doing. Because I was doing that. All of a sudden, I, I couldn't blame someone else because I had awareness of what was going on in me and how my own mind's interpretation and storytelling created all these emotions. And from those emotions came actions. 
that I wasn't necessarily happy with. But by continuing and staying in that awareness and not closing down and pushing away and like, well, I don't want to look at that, but really, really, okay, I have to look at this. This is crazy. And by be really, really being with that on a daily basis, honestly looking at myself, little by little, I took my power back from all those beliefs. And little by little, I became aware that when, when an event was stirring something in me, I was aware that it was stirring something in me. And it wasn't an automatic reaction any longer. That took time. So I could feel it stirring and it was still an automatic reaction, but it was no longer a train wreck. I could slow down the train. And then I could slow down the train even more and then I could, I could tell the train not to leave the station. I got so um, aware of my own minds, trigger points, and automatics, and fears, and, and strengths. Like the construct of Eva became very familiar to me. It was not something that was just running the show. It was something I was really aware of. And the more I got to know all the little bits and pieces of the avatar of Eva, I could start moving the avatar as opposed to the avatar just moving on its own. And in a way, that's where I felt I was when my time with Miguel came to an end. I had mastered that. I was able to, to stay calm, centered, and happy pretty much no matter what. I was in the center of the hurricane. And God knows that was part of my training, being pushed into the pool. If there was anything I had resistance to, I'd be thrown into that pool. As a training, to be able to, to find mm -hmm. all those aspects of myself that was out of alignment, that was reacting, that was in fear or... Um, Resistance or attachment. For me, it's, there's, there's those two. When something happens, the mind either wants it and it wants to hold onto it and grabs hold and it will not let go. Or it resists and push, pushes away and will have nothing to do with it. But there's a middle space between those two that is neutral. And you can enjoy the attachment, but it's not owning you. You can step into being fully present and even attached but it's not owning you, you're choosing it. So then when, when the moment is over, there is, there is no problem letting go because you chose the attachment. So now you can detach and there, there's no disturbance in that. And that was the path I felt I walked with Miguel to really, really master that. He was a fantastic teacher and brought me to that place. What I wasn't aware of was that I did it through control. And I don't think he meant it that way, but that's the level of awareness I had, and that's how I did it, as I was doing it. It was something I was doing. I could feel something 
being triggered in me and I would choose not to let that train leave the station. And it took energy. It took active um, awareness and power to mm-mm, not go in there. I'm bringing myself back to center, to holding myself in that place. And I thought I was done. I was fantastic. I was happy. It was great living the, the life of my dreams. And then Lyme disease came. If I thought Miguel was a ruthless teacher, well, nothing compared to Lyme disease. And the journey of, of having had a, a ruthless teacher that would pretty much push whatever I was holding on to away from me. If I was holding on from, onto anything, Miguel would take it away, including himself. He threw me out several times because I got attached to my life with him. If I got attached, he would throw me out. Then I could come back and live in, in that center point where, without attachment or, or um, resistance and continue my life with him. But the moment there was attachment, he would take it away. And the same if there was resistance to anything, it would be right in my face. So I, I really, really learned about mind-created choices and emotions through that journey. But Lyme disease was not mind-created emotions. Now there is, is this entity, this bacteria, or mix of bacteria and viruses, invading my body and they have their own agenda. So now they are, um, they are trying to create an environment in the host, my body, where they can survive, the bacteria can survive, and the most conductive environment for this particular bacteria is the chemical components that come when we're in fear fight or flight, panic, paranoia, like all of those creates this chemical surrounding that like bacteria like a, really uh, thrives like in. Sympathetic responses and... Okay. So the bacteria would, lives, I think they still do, I don't know. doesn't matter to me any longer, but what I was told was that in my particular case, the bacteria made their home in my brain and the central nervous system. So for me, the, the um, symptoms were mainly cognitive and emotional. And all of a sudden, I would be completely terrified for no reason. Like the kindest man on this planet would walk into the room, Miguel, and I, I would be afraid of him for no reason. And then, of course, there's self-judgment and what, what's going on with you and what's wrong with you and... He didn't understand. I didn't understand. No one understood what's going on. And normally I'm a calm-centered person, not very reactive. If I'm, if I'm reactive, it's inside. It's not external. Um, 
And after my, my years, this is many years into my training with Miguel, and I was definitely not a reactive person. And all of a sudden, I'm crying for no reason, and I'm bitchy, and attacking people, and really horrible, which is so out of character, and terrifying, absolutely terrifying, thinking you're going crazy. I definitely felt I was going crazy. I did not understand what's going on. I would go into um, CVS to pick up medication for Miguel, for instance, and they would ask for something, and I couldn't remember, and I panicked and ran out. Like, totally run out of, of, like, totally losing control, running out. Couldn't find my way home, because I couldn't remember. It was weird. It was really, really weird. And all these emotions going on, the emotions that our bacteria were creating, but also all the fear and emotions and thoughts in response to what was going on. And in, in daily life, for all of us, what I had learned through my training was that, that most of what I'm feeling on a daily basis is created by my own thinking. And because I'm creating it, I can also shift it or control it. Because back then it was about control. But now what I was feeling and thinking wasn't generated by my mind. It was generated by this foreign invader in my body. And that was a whole different animal. I couldn't control that. God knows I tried, and I had all the tools, and all the spiritual teachers I had to work with, and I knew what to do, and nothing worked. And my life fell apart completely, losing pretty much everything, and not being able to take care of myself, and just spinning, 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 spinning. Trying to regain control someplace so I could start building and nothing worked and it wasn't until I came to that very similar place that I had been right before a skydiving accident of I, I can't do this I can't I, I don't want to be here I was right back to that place I don't want to be here can't live like this and through a series of events and and healers and shamans and plant medicine and all kinds of things just came my way. I wasn't in any place to look for any of that, but it came to me. I be began to start finding my way back to what had happened naturally in the skydiving accident. Remember I was saying I didn't do anything to shift from complete panic to grace and acceptance. I didn't know how. It happened. Ava fell away and I was in this place of complete acceptance. Now I was back in the same um, place within myself, completely different circumstances and much slower. It was like a free fall without a parachute in slow motion. But I had gained so many tools in all those years. And over time in, in this complete chaos, I began to find my way back to surrender and acceptance. 
And as I was doing that, everything changed. Not instantly, like it did in the skydiving, but little by little. And in a way, I feel that's still ongoing to be deeper and deeper and deeper into that place of everything is okay. It doesn't matter what's going on. I'm right here, right now. And this moment is perfect, for lack of a better word. Acceptance of what is and really, really, really experiencing that. It's not a concept. It's, it's a lived experience now and it's not something that's a moment in time the way it was 30 years ago in this skydiving accident. It's something I, I know how to just shift into now. And that takes a lot of practice. I think a visual, listening to you uh, um, had a visual concept come up that I haven't had before. And that is like this like emotionally grabbing onto things or emotionally attaching or grabbing onto expectations that you have in this reality that we're currently in. Mm-hmm. And if it's something that deviates from your expectation, then that can create you know, some suffering if you resist it or if you resent that particular thing. But to emotionally be able to let go of whatever those those things are attached to and then appreciate them for what they are and recognizing that we don't actually have anything. Like, we don't really... Like, what is really ours? Like, say my car, but is it really my car? Or my house, is it really my house? Like if this house was taken away from me, I, I I don't cease to exist. I'm okay. Or I expect to get to wherever I'm driving to uh, in 10 minutes. And if something cuts me off or people cut in line a bunch of times in front of you, me and you guys know what I'm talking about, especially if you live in L.A. Um, like even that attachment to me having the expectation to get where I'm going in this amount of minutes. And if it deviates from that, that creates some, you know, especially if I choose to resist that idea and get mad at it, it creates suffering within me. And now full circle, if I detach and look at myself and be like, Hey, silly, you just gave something out of your control power over your own internal peace. So who's in control of you? So, I don't know, that's just a whole thought that I had. Mm-hmm. But the emotional grabbing of things, right? And understanding that surrendering and acceptance are, well, they're paradox because they seem simple, yet they're so complex. And how to, how to practice that. And obviously, not all of us can fall out of a plane, um, but there are other ways to learn how to do that. Not recommended. Yeah. <laughs> not without no, a parachute. No, you know what? But a lot of us um, have had, and I say this a lot, like our stories are unique, but like the struggles in certain things are universal. So it might be a car accident. It might be, you know, whatever people have been through, some type of balance between life and death to, to help you awaken to have gratitude and appreciation for 
what you get to do while you have the time here. Now there's certain, I think books are one way, um, experiences are another. There's a lot of different things that people can do to become more self-aware. Um, is there anything that like, comes off the top of your mind right now that you would recommend like, to get somebody that wants to be more um, awoken for, you know, it's not really my favorite word to use, but to help them become more self-aware and take control of their circumstances internally. I always recommend um, Way of the Peaceful Warrior. I think that's a good one, good little book. And also, by the way, they have, um, Dan Millman has a bunch of awesome children's books as well for, for the listeners. You got kids, check those out. Uh, I think, and maybe you can help me out here, that like learning and mastering this type of stuff and this type of, you know, philosophy or psychology or whatever word we're going to use culturally isn't necessarily taught here. Do you know of any cultures that teach it or that's kind of like the standard, not standard, but it's something that's accepted more? Because it seems here you start mentioning certain words or certain things or people can automatically look at that and judge it as being weird. But in my perspective, not doing it is weird. <laughs> but that's just a cultural thing, right? Is there any cultures or any that comes up that teach it or that's part of like a normal, you know, dinner time discussions? I think there is, but for the way I really look at it, it is much more individual. Um, that's my experience also having worked with so many people over the years. We all live in our own bubble of perception and based on our experiences and the stories we tell in our heads and how we interpret life, life, we all have our own way of looking at life and experiencing life because of that. So there is not really one thing to recommend that everyone will like. For me, it's more living, stop living outside in and shift into living inside out. So in this particular case with recommending something, I would, I would suggest for everyone individually to become really, really clear, what do you want? What is it you want right now? If I use the skydiving accident as an example, I decided that I wanted to live. That was my desire in that particular circumstance. Um, in a daily life, it can be something much more simple than that. But the, um, the process is the same, to being clear, what do you want? And then internally making a choice to claiming that, that want, that desire. Knowing what you want and actually claiming it is not the same. There's an energetic difference in that, that I find for myself at least. Really making a choice, okay, I want this. And I am going to make it happen. And by doing that, by becoming so clear within yourself, you're holding yourself in that desire and magically, at least that's my experience, life will bring you those opportunities to make that happen because you're, you're claiming it. You're saying, this is what I want. 
and all of a sudden you meet a person or you hear a podcast, like some people listening now would feel, I need to talk with Ava. Others will feel there is no way I would ever talk with her because it's so individual. Mm -hmm. You resonate or you don't. But if you know what you want from inside out, this is what I want and I'm going to make it happen, you will feel, yes, I do want to talk with her. Or a friend of you talk about a book and you, you just you just know in your whole being that absolutely have to read that book. Or you feel, no, mm, that's not for me. But you have to be clear. So, so even in that, like, I do want to read that book and then I'm going to buy it and I'm actually going to read it and study it. So it's like a decision followed up by action, but making yeah. it clear with yourself. Yeah. But it starts by knowing what you want. Yeah. And as strange as that might sound, many people never even ask that. We don't know what we want. We go on automatic there as well. This is what my parents taught me. This is what society says. And you live a whole life in that um, wheel of, of habits, just yeah. making choices out of, of society and family. Right. And then, what do I want versus what am I supposed to want? Exactly. What do I really want? Like really, really asking that. What do I want? What makes me happy? That's hard. Well, we never ask that question. Yeah. And it's such a simple question. But because we're not, we're not accustomed to really asking that and honestly finding the answers from within, not the patterns of what I should be doing next, what is the next logical step in my family or in my career or something. What do I want? Yeah, and that goes from kind of to circle it back to that question of how do you live a happy and fulfilling life? And I guess if you're going to be, you know, start living in a way that you're trying to answer that question or live a happy and fulfilling life, it starts with asking, well, what do I want? Yeah, what makes me happy? And not just going on automatic answers, but really, what makes me happy? I think also that, that looking at that will also help with um, grief and grieving, being aware of that. Um, and obviously you can grieve and grieve uh, people, events. If it's raining and you don't want it to rain. I don't know. There's all kinds of different things that when things aren't matching up to your expectations and uh, having the ability to replace expectation with appreciation. Yeah. One little thing that um, came up in my mind here is you're talking about the internal, right? And I'll share some, my own little personal psychology here, but inside of me, I feel like I have like this, like flow of water, like a river. I have like this perfect stream and it's serene. There's, it's beautiful. There's a sky, there's beautiful trees and sounds, uh, has a certain smell. There's a temperature to it, a whole thing. And being very mindful of 
trying because it's it's not perfect like there's a path of keeping it not polluted and that helps with the external events that I see and what I allow to pass through and which filter I allow to pass through to that stream sometimes it gets messed up and I I get my pond all dirty but I I have the awareness now that so I can self-regulate and clean that up yeah um but we all have those internal environments and one way and again, this is like a little, a little thing for people to do. And I'm sure it has some name in meditation where, it, uh, gosh, I forget. It's talk about senses, like being very mindful of your vision. Say, focus very intently on your vision, what you can see, and then not, then closing your eyes or blindfolding yourself, and then go about trying to. Just, two minutes and see what life is like and what you perceive and then take it off and then see how much you appreciate the ability to see your blue toothbrush or same thing goes with hearing, uh, feeling all, all of our senses. Just be very, very mindful of those. And then if you start to realize that you're not really appreciating it, take it away for a little while or don't use your hands for a little while or see what it's like to not use your, your legs or all these things that help you come back to realize that what you have is a gift and you have a decision to how you perceive the external world. Those are things that help me um, recenter myself. Yeah. All great tools. I, I like, I like your, um, your vision of, of the river. And for me, it's more like a... Um, pond I guess there is a, a place it's not really a place it's what I am but for the use of language it's a place within me that is always at peace always still always untouched and having learned how to reconnect with that place go there be that I know how to bring myself to center. Um, there's so many tools out there. And every spiritual teaching really talks about that. Many different way, uh, ways lead to the same thing. The tools you just talked about are great meditation, breathing. For me, it's, it's visualizing that central place. And sometimes it's... It's stirred up, and it's it's um, like the middle of a ocean in the middle of a hurricane, and there's waves, and it's unruly and kind of crazy. But knowing that if I sink down below the surface of that and deep enough, the ocean is still untouched. It's still still and peaceful and happy that place is always present deep within and by focusing at the very center of my being if i imagine myself as a as a bubble and the very central point of that would be in the heart area it's not the heart it's not the heart chakra it's deeper than that it's the very center of the of my being holding my attention there 
while also having part of my attention on my breath and part of my attention on like endless space, like eternity of space. Like those three together as I breathe naturally just brings me to stillness. It takes practice. But even doing that just a couple of minutes every day or every hour makes a huge difference. Yep. And what we're really doing with that is connecting with ourselves beyond the storytelling mind. Usually we live in, in, in our heads um, the image I get with that is one of those, um, gosh, what are they called? It's not an avatar. You know, those machines that are cars and then they turn into big robots. Oh, transformers. Yeah. And someone is sitting in the, in the head moving around this huge transformer machine. That's kind of how I see us when we're living from the mind. We're sitting up in the head and we're moving this vehicle around trying to navigate this world so separate from the world because we're in this machine that we're trying to yeah. direct as opposed to sinking into the center of our being, in this case the heart, and knowing that we're connected to, to everything and just feeling... You don't even have to believe in that, but just being in the center of your being and connected to the breath and the space around you naturally takes you there. And it's just a whole different way of living life. Yeah. If you want to, if you want your life to be a masterpiece, you have to learn to master peace. <laughs> and that's something that's done through all of these things. And it's a practice, first of all, again. I think anyone on this path, for sure, allow yourself some slack and some freedom to fall off the path all the time. Yeah. Because you're still going to get frustrated, anger, all these of emotions course. are there. They're, you cannot get rid of them. Um, just don't let them in the driver's seat for too long. The way I perceive them in myself now is that something is arising within my being. Let's say it's frustration. And it's something that I feel in my body like a wave of energy a wave of emotion and i can allow that it's nothing wrong with that i can allow that to be in my in my body i can have the awareness that it's present i can even name it i can call it frustration frustration is present but there's a shifting point where i go from being aware of it acknowledging it, allowing it to grabbing hold of it and making it mine. The moment I do that, now I am frustrated. It's a very different yeah. energy. And then that is running the show. Because now that's the, that's the center point in my awareness. I am frustrated, as opposed to frustration is present. You know, I think I'm going to name my frustration Bubbles. I'm going to name it Bubbles. So whenever Bubbles come up, it'll make me laugh and I won't be frustrated. Yeah, that's a good way. Being friends with everything. There's nothing yep. wrong with all our human emotions. That's completely natural and normal. And it's not about bypassing or separating. It's actually the exact opposite. Embracing and being aware of and having a relationship yep. with. Yep. 
Uh, a couple of times this has come up, and while it's my mind, I want to talk about it. We've talked about, because we both, um, I think we both are very uh, cognizant and try and be as accurate with the words that we choose to express the meaning that we have within us. Hence the pausing, the delaying, um, and I leave all that stuff in. Sometimes I've sit, sat on this podcast and waited 30 seconds to say anything because I, mm-hmm. I wanted to try and bestly, uh, accurately um, express the feeling I'm having. But we're talking about language and words. And, if, you know, I've heard you talk about this and uh, I've spoken about it with friends before, but language is very, like even the letters, and you take these little letters and you put them in a combination of other letters and you form this thing, even the letters themselves, they're all symbols. Like just someone decided this symbol is that and this symbol is that and then these symbols together, this is what um, that word happy. So you put these all together, that means happy and this is what happy means. And then they're all in in linear order, which is a fascinating thing because all this stuff is affecting how we... um, really do everything how we dream how we communicate with each other really i think it even affects how we perceive time as humans we like to organize things and try and make sense of it so language i'm just you know i'm talking about this because i think it's an interesting concept for people to be aware of and those those words somebody else decided what they meant and have now you have now attached a feeling to that group of symbols. And I think it goes beyond language. It goes to events in life. I'm not going to make a list, but things that will come up and we have decided that we are supposed to feel or think about those events in a certain way. I hope everyone knows that they can they don't necessarily have to think and or feel that way about those things that they can choose from themselves. And there's freedom there. And within that freedom, then you get to choose your own. You're in the driver's seat and you have the power to control how you feel and think and how you perceive things. I mean, I know you have some thoughts I'd like to hear. Well, what you just said at the very end here for me is the whole concept of living inside out as opposed to outside in. Um, Most of us live outside in, I know I did, where I try to arrange my life, my circumstances, my home, my relationships in a certain way where I felt good. And ultimately, I think it comes back to all of us wanting to feel happy and we want to feel good about ourselves we want to feel safe and um, we want our loved ones to be happy and safe and everything becomes about arranging our lives to make that happen and there's nothing wrong with that at all and it's part of being here and enjoying the cars and the houses and the work and the travel and you know all of that stuff great it's the dependency to it and the addiction to it and and the non-freedom in feeling we need that to feel a certain way that makes it less desirable at least for me 
And when I realized that I had a choice, like you're talking about, to choose to feel how I want to feel. It doesn't matter what's going on. If I have a house or not a house, if I have a car or not a car, relationship or not, um, whatever circumstance, I actually have a choice of how I feel. In any given moment, I have a choice of how I feel. And to, to some extent, that that's really easy. It's just about having the awareness in any given moment that there's an automatic reaction going on and I can take a step back internally or physically, actually taking a step back, whatever works in the circumstance, taking a breath and... and just looking at this, what's going on here and why am I reacting the way I am and do I really have to react that way and can I think differently about this situation? And as you think differently about the situation, you feel differently about the situation. It doesn't have to be more complex than that and everyone can do it. And that's a so, it's so powerful and there's so much strength in that. Mm-hmm. And taking control of your own internal peace. Yeah. Ultimately... As you practice this, if that is a desire to really, really master this, the way I would describe it is if you think of of yourself as a glass of water and someone who's never looked at themselves is, is most likely, for most people, it's a glass of water with sort of murky, you know, stuff is floating around in the water. We all have stuff. And as you start working with, with yourself, on yourself, you clean out some of, of that stuff. But you also learn how to hold yourself in a steady place and whatever's floating around being activated tends to sink to the bottom. And it could seem like you're done because you're, now your water is clear, but there's a lot of sediment in the bottom. And if the, the event shakes the, the glass hard enough the sediment will arise again and the water gets murky and so many of of the teachings and psychotherapy and all of that stuff is then looking at every single little particle that's floating around which works it's great Mm. it works another way to do it though is to focus on the essence of what we all really are. We can call it love, we can call it consciousness, we can call it light, spirit, soul, God. And learning how to bring that to every circumstance, which in this symbology would be pouring clean water into the glass all the time. So no matter what comes up, bring the clean water. Bring yourself back to love, in this case. And by continuously just pouring clean water, yes, the sediment will be stirred up, but eventually the water will be clean because that is what you're bringing all the time. And you don't even have to look at the sediment. All you need to do is bring clean water, which could be done through meditation, for instance. And I think um, to go a step further, we are both, we're holding both of these glasses you're holding the you, in one hand you have the glass that has the sediment and then the other hand 
if you so choose, um, and to go back earlier, I said, take control of your own internal peace. I would like to replace that with responsibility or accountability. Like that's, con control is a, a word I don't want to use. But if you, have the res if you want to take responsibility, you pick up that other glass in your other hand and start pouring it. Because no one's going to do it for you. Nope. All right, no one's coming to save you. It's up to you. And you got this. No matter how much sediment you got in the other glass. Yeah. And we all have a whole bunch. Of course. You also have the... Part the, of living life. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And there's a whole bunch that you might not even be aware of. In fact, I'd say, yeah, there is a whole bunch of stuff that we don't, we're not necessarily aware of until, say, a certain event comes and we really shake that glass up. Yeah. Something that I witnessed with, with Miguel that was really such a beautiful lesson that I now know how to live. Back then, it was just something I witnessed. He's a human being like everyone else, and he has children, and things happen, and things would arise in him. He would feel some fear around one of the ch children or something, whatever it is in daily life. Something would uh, stir his glass. I could feel it. I could see it. And it would be like moving through him, a wave that would move through, like the energy of the emotion, energy in motion, would move through. So if that was frustration or anger or jealousy or whatever it could be, it would move through. He would never grab hold to it. He would never stop the flow of the, the emotion that moved through him, and because he never stopped it, it ne never stayed. It just moved through like a wave in the ocean. It fascinated me back then. And it's, I still feel it's such a good way to try to describe what happens. Now I, I know how it feels. Now I live that way myself. I can feel it arise. And I can feel the tendency to resist it, which is a way of blocking the energy from having its natural movement. Or if it's something I really like, I want to hold on to that emotion as opposed to allowing it to just move through. They're really just energies that are yeah. moving through. Yeah, yeah. That's another paradox, right? Like, yeah. And we're making some right and we're making some wrong. And depending on if, if it's a good emotion or a bad emotion, we're either holding on to it or we're pushing it away. And in all of that resistance or latching on to, that's where the struggle is. That's where the, the um, suffering is. Yep. It's not in the emotion itself. It's just an energy that's moving through. I've used in, in my, my analogies in my internal stream of like a log or some trash or things, tree branches in it passing by. And how I used to like get really mad at it and try and hold on to it or whatever. And I still do. But now I've learned that I don't have to. It can... It can I can look at it and go, oh, look at that. And look, at, look, how, look how silly or look how funny. Oh, wow, that's like a big pile right there. And then watch it go. That's the image I have in my head. Yeah, it's a good one. A very common question around this is that when I talk with people about this, there is this feeling that, so you mean I should just witness everything and just let it be and not do anything? And that's not what I mean. It's, it's an internal state of being. You can still take action. 
you can still make choices. You can create whatever you want to create, and there's nothing wrong with any of that external. It's all I'm talking about is internal. Your internal state of being as you're living your life. And you can live your life whatever way you want. You can go to an ashram or a mountaintop or be the CEO or football player or anything. SWAT team. You know, whatever you want with your life, that's great. But how are you holding yourself internally as you live your life? Because that's what I found has made such a difference for myself. And it all came from that skydiving accident of, of knowing in that kind of extreme circumstance, I can be at peace, happy, content, present, inspired. There was no detachment from the situation at all. I was very present in it. I was trying to fix the problem. I could see the problem. I didn't know what a problem was, but I could see there's a problem right there, and I was trying to fix it, but from a completely calm, centered place. Yep. In that calm, centered place, um, one thing I would like to talk about also is that that calm, centered place can be thrown off if we choose by what we perceive as valuable or important in certain relationships with other things, whether that's in a relationship with, you know, a man or a woman or your relationship to your job or a relationship to, you know, fill in the blank. Yeah. Uh, and I know that, you know, something deviates from your expectation with your relationship with external things or to go back to, you know, one of the uh, the themes that the good life is can be centered on, you know, that's learning to think clearly about yourself and your relationship within the larger community of humanity. Because a lot of the stuff we are talking about is an internal thing, like mastering your desires, performing your duties. But now just to open it up a little bit, like how we think about how we fit, right, within the relationship with the external world. Um, reminding people that they're their value in the world isn't dependent on that attachment to external things, but it's still important because you're, you're in it. Like you say, you're in the ocean. There's other boats right there with you. So is any thoughts that come up with how you deal, let's just say with relationships with other people or significant others, maybe even more acutely. Um, uh, let's say you taken someone that just, you just found out that, um, in fact, somebody wrote me, and I'll make it, I'm not going to name any names, found out that his wife of you know, 20 years was cheating on him and in their own home, and then what to do or how to feel about it. The challenges of being a human. Yep. Yeah. Well, ultimately it all comes down to the beliefs we have and the stories we tell. Now, this is a very particular um, circumstance. And depending on agreements these two people have, it's either broken agreements or it's not. Is that a clear, communicated... Um, 
situation? Have they really talked through what's right, what's wrong, what's allowed, what's not allowed? And as you find yourself in, in a circumstance where you feel betrayed, so assuming that's where it lands, that event have, has then triggered triggered something, if I use myself as an example, when I feel betrayed, it triggers me in a way where I, not, I don't feel um, that I have been enough. Um, for whatever reason, the person has chosen to do something else, go somewhere else. And what we tend to do is making it about ourselves. In this particular case, not being enough. And really becoming aware of looking at what is it that I am feeling in this circumstance? Where is it taking me within me? There is no one way of looking at a circumstance like that where someone has um, been with someone else because every every human being is living in his or her, her own world and to generalize it just doesn't work that way in, in how I look at things so if I were to talk with this particular person I would be tapping into that person's yeah. um, belief system and emotional reactions and that whole thing to try to do it more generally would be to really really sit with yourself where is it taking you what's going on in you when this happens in your life what's going on in you um, what is being triggered in you and why um, what is really true around that what does it mean what if I use myself in, in just as an example, not saying that's true for this person, but for me, if I'm in a relationship with someone and he is with someone else, where I go with that is feeling into where am I with in my relationship with this man and it's almost like two circles. If you think of two circles that are completely different, separate circles, and the relationship is where these two circles um, intersect, and there's a space there that is the, sh the shared dream, the shared life. His life is not my life. My life is not his life, but there is a, a place where our two lives intersect and we share that space. So if my partner is with someone else, I go to that space. How is our space? And if that is, is um, healthy and complete and happy, then I don't really care what he does. Because it's not affecting me. It's not affecting us. And he can go out and do that, and it, I don't care. But that's me. I I have that way of holding myself that whatever he does doesn't make me less. And as long as it's not affecting 
him and me, it doesn't matter. For most people, that's not their belief system. For most, it's not their agreements. So in this particular case with this person, sounds like he feels heartbroken and um, rejected and betrayed. I would still go to that meeting place and feel for myself, how is our relationship? Is there something in our relationship that um, is lacking? Is there... Um, How is that, that meeting point? How is that? How healthy is that? Is this something I, I feel is, is that silence, finding the words. Mm -hmm. I want to take it in a different direction. Wait. This is really what we have talked about, where we have such um, societal rules of what is right and what is wrong. And it should be a certain way and it should not be a certain way. And to really know yourself, what really does matter to me? Does this matter to me? Am I feeling all these reactions because it's, what I'm supposed to feel? Um, um, what am I really feeling? Like really, really looking at it. It's an opportunity to really... A dream has been shattered in a way. It's a heartbreak. And a shattered dream, a heartbreak, is always an opportunity to... to go somewhere else within yourself. And not just automatically go to this is how I should feel. Nothing wrong with feeling that way. You have been betrayed. It, it happened. But it happened. So what am I going to do with it now? Looking at it, for me, what do I really, really feel? Um, what is automatic reactions? What are true feelings here? How is our relationship beyond this event that just happened? Where do I want to go with it from now on? having a conversation with the partner, letting down all the automatic reactions, all the defenses, all the blame and shame game, and taking the opportunity to just sit down and really, really, really talk with myself. How do I feel? but also with my partner, what happened here and what's going on. And yep. Stepping out of the, the blame and shame and automatic. Yeah, I think there's also space to go back to, an opportunity to go back to the your, your wire. What do I want, right? And then also another opportunity to remember that, to, to love yourself, you know? And what does that mean? Like saying, I love myself, yes. Does that mean that I have to, I, I can't put up with this because this is disrespectful, which it could be. Mm -hmm. It's a really interesting question to bring up. And 
very touchy for many. There's so much dogma around how it should be. Um, I find that it's not an easy question to really yep. answer. Yep. For me, there isn't a answer. There is, and I, I guess in many ways that's true for me in almost any question you, you ask, because it's an exploration and it's an individual journey and there is, in my way of looking at things, there is no right or wrong. There's choice and uh, respect. I find in, in a relationship, respect is absolutely key. And in order to respect the other person, I need to first know who I am and my desires. And if I were in relationship with you, I would need to know what you want how can I respect what you want if I don't yep. even know what you want? And many, many, many relationships are formed in a place where we haven't even explored that. We haven't asked those questions and we find ourselves in a marriage and we don't even know what we want and there is no respect. It's just automatic. And then something happens and now the blame and shame comes in. And to be able to just to the best of our ability, step out of all of that and take the opportunity to, okay, what do we do now? It's an opportunity for a fresh start. Maybe that will completely shift their relationships into in, yep. to a whole different level, or it might end it. And neither one is right or wrong. Maybe it is time to end it. Maybe that is where they need, I don't know these people yep. at yep. all, but just generally speaking that it's, if we can step out of what we think things need to be and really drop into the body and feel and honestly ask what's going on here, yep. starting with ourselves. To highlight a few things that you said is that there is no right or wrong and to remember to respect other people's, like other people don't have to think or feel or say as you do and you, you are the same for them, so give them space for that. Um. Also, anything that happens is an opportunity. Whether that thing is good or bad, who knows? To circle back to the beginning of the story. Yeah. But everything is an opportunity for you to reflect and grow upon, and things happen for you, not to you. I think that mindset is also a, a good framework to look through if someone is trying to yeah. master peace in their life and protect their inner stream or their inner pond. Yeah. Well, we create our own interpretation all the time, the story of what's going on and whatever story I tell about any given circumstance will affect how I feel about it. So why not tell a good story? I love that. Tell a good story. And then the automatic response to that, most likely for most people, would be, well, but then it's not, I'm not telling the truth. And who defines what's true? There is no universal law out there that is saying you have to interpret this event that way. We really are free to tell whatever interpretation, whatever story we, we want, and it makes such a big difference for how we perceive life. Yep. You are freedom. You have freedom and you are free to move about and to see things with through the lens of surrendering, forgiveness I mean, we haven't talked much about that but forgiveness is a big powerful word uh i don't go into it too much but 
we as humans tend to grab hold of past events and hold on to them. Same thing with mistakes. We tend to hold on to them. Um, so remember to utilize forgiveness a lot and forgiveness for yourself, even forgiveness for holding on to those emotions. And like, we're all here temporarily. So you might as well try to do your best to live a happy, fulfilling life and see things, see things through the lens of love. And to laugh and smile about things, including yourself, a lot. Yeah. Somebody that wants to learn uh, more about you, listen to interviews besides this one, um, perhaps contact you, what is the, the, the best way to do that? Well, I have a website, evacharlotte.com. E-V-A-C-H-A-R-L-O-T-T-E dot com. Social media, Eva Charlotte, R-I-L, Rise in Love. Um, there's contact information on many of those, both social media and websites. And I'd love to have a conversation with anyone who wants to. Complimentary exploration of if and how we can work together. And that's a big that's a big thing I want to point out. Anyone out there, if you want to reach out, take the next step and actually do that. Or just whatever that next whatever that thing that you want to do, take the step to do it. Yeah, whatever it is. If it's talking to someone like me, if it's um, buying a book, if it's going for a walk, having a glass of wine, just learn to listen to whatever is arising within you and honor that. Yes, and that that is going to be our challenge to you guys to do that thing um to go a little bit further and to use the um in a good or bad way i don't know that's up to you to decide but i'll use the example of skydiving use that perspective of you know if you're in a uh, an airplane and you're looking down and you see the world as we perceive it like you see cars maybe you see people and buildings and stuff every once in a while try to look down at your own life and how you are reacting and how you're living and the way you're perceiving things. Give yourself a different perspective because um, you might be able to see things and, and grow from it. Yeah, the eagle's view, it's yes. always a good one. Rise yes. up above and see it from from a higher perspective and little distance. Yep. Um, and then for me, I have um, same Instagram, but I no longer have the one in my name. For a long time, I was at one, the number one Scott McGee. Now there's no one, it's just at Scott McGee, which I'm actually kind of excited about. Long story with that, so if you guys are interested, um, shoot me a DM or an email, but at one Scott, uh, see, I'm in the habit of saying it, mm-hmm. at Scott McGee. I've like grown up to just my name and my Instagram now. So Congratulations. Yes, thank you. <laughs> uh, I want to do that because I've, I want to write a book and I'm taking action on making that happen. Me too. Awesome. See? And by the way, that is an impressively powerful endeavor to really find a way to express like that. So um, be on the lookout for both of ours at some point in time. Yours will probably be out before mine will be. Um, 
but that's part of the reason to some branding and stuff, but at Scott McGee and of course at the Sisu way and all the links to Ava's social media and website, all that stuff will be at the Sisu, the com and on the social media. So check those out and hopefully you enjoy this podcast and hopefully we've helped you remember how strong and loving you really are beyond the external costumes and roles that we are playing. Uh, please tell a loved one about this episode if you feel like they could benefit from it. I think that is an awesome, awesome gift to give somebody is um, powerful lessons. Uh, and if you don't mind, when you have time, jump on iTunes and give it a review. I'm not going to tell you to give five stars, but if you feel like it deserves five stars, please do it and leave a, a review an honest review of the show and please make sure to follow Ava on her social medias as well. She writes, she's very articulate and very, very, again, like I said in the beginning, very insightful and powerful. Um, great resource for everyone out there. So I also really want to thank you for your time and attention here. Those are currency that we don't get back. So I very much appreciate that you took the time to not only sit and talk to me for two hours here, but that you came here physically, drove here parked, that all takes some effort. And I appreciate the, the, the positive attitude you've had about the whole experience. So thank you very much. It is a tremendous honor for me. And for the listeners, thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, I know there's a lot of stuff out there to listen to. Um, I listen to a lot of it. So choosing to listen to this particular episode, I have gratitude for you. Thank you for your time and attention. And remember, health is wealth, vulnerability is strength, and strength is a choice. You are the master of your fate. You are the captain of your soul. So get up strong, help others get up strong, and be unconquerable. I'm Scott McGee, and this is The Sisu Way. <laughs>